Hello, and welcome to the Games About Glory. I'm your host, Milo, and joining me tonight are Gareth and Ricky. Hello, chaps. Good evening, Milo. Good evening, Milo. So we've had a few days to mull over Monday night's game, and we've decided to record a second pod this week because there was so much to take from it, and some of what happens is a little clearer with a few days' distance. I think this is the first time that we've ever done a second pod on, on one game. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's true, yeah. But I think kind of the chat amongst us in, in our WhatsApp group we were coming up with more questions and more stuff, you know, after the game. And yeah, it just felt right to come back into the studio. I, th- I think we even said it on the pod on, on Monday, didn't we, that this one might be one that we have to come back and revisit. Well, judging by kind of the mileage, things like TalkSport and other kind of social media things get out of like the most boring kind of things. I think we can justify it on this one, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so Gareth, you were there on Monday night. Um, how was it in the ground? Yeah, um, evening. Hello, hello, everybody. Um, I'm delighted that I get another bite of the cherry here because as I was walking, you know, my two mile walk back up the high road up to Edmonton where my car was parked, I was, I was desperate to be able to find a way of actually listening to you guys recording live at the time because the only alternative was, as Ricky said, unfortunately, talk sport, which was, uh, as you can imagine, the lowest common denominator as, um, <laughs> as usual. Um, but, my reflection on it is, um, you'd said to me beforehand, we're going to lose 4-1 at home to Chelsea tonight. Um, I've seen us get beat 4-1 by Chelsea. I've seen us get hammered by Chelsea on a number of occasions. It is a thoroughly unpleasant occasion. Um, but thinking back now, I, I, I just thought back, I really, really enjoyed that game of football. It was really, really compelling. It was incredibly mm. absorbing. And um, I, I think it's one of the athletic articles actually referenced the fact that, you know, it must be an epic game when it gets its own Wikipedia entry. And you wow. just feel it is one of those games that's going to get its own Wikipedia entry just because of the, um, of, of, of just how epic and how much actually happened in it. So it was a really enjoyable occasion. I mean, there were just so many firsts. The um, I, I think as a group of fans, we're, we, we, we collectively, not, not the three of us, aren't very good at staying with the team. And usually mm. us going 3-1 down to Chelsea or 3-1 down to anyone at home in the 93rd minute, the only noise you would hear would be the clapping of the uh, seats going up against the board and sort of 30,000 people stomping out the concourses. But to see the whole home crowd in standing ovation because of the way that they had appre- they were appreciating what the team were doing, it's, it's, I, I, I can't remember another time that I've seen a Spurs crowd react to that. Mm. I think we can, as a fan base, be quite a precious group. So to to, to react in that way. The only other time I can remember coming out of a a Spurs game, having lost and everyone feeling universally quite happy or or proud, was maybe that Barcelona game we lost in the Champions League Mm. 4-2, where I think everyone was just so in awe of what they'd seen from Messi that night. Um, But that's really the only, only, my only go-to comparison. There was no outrage coming out of that game that night, which you think there would be having seen two players sent off. No outrage or disgust uh, um, having lost at home to Chelsea and their fans. Yeah, I mean, the only complaints I've I've heard from friends who were there were not knowing what's going on during the stops for VAR. I mean, I think if you're in the stadium, um, the Romero sending up, the leading up to that Romero sending up must have been, sending off must have been completely puzzling if you if you couldn't, you know, if you didn't have your mates messaging you, telling you what's going on, it, you know, it must have been impossible to know what was going on there. And then the amount of added time and, yeah. you know, evening, midweek evening kickoffs and then having to get home. And yeah, but other than that, I, I haven't heard anyone say anything negative no. about yeah, our performance or how we, you know, how we played. 
I mean, I think this could just be kind of a litmus test or, well, an unplanned litmus test of just how well um, Angie's just general attitude mm. and has seeped into the kind of fabric of the club. I mean, we, you know, we're still only, I mean, he only still came. Ten games. What, Ten games. Yeah, I mean, what, yeah. he's been here since July, is he, or something? Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's just remarkable that that can, it, it, in other words, it's touched that many people in the crowd as well. Because I know we have a very, all all teams have a very varied fan base, don't they? You know, from all walks of life and God knows what. But it just seems everyone's kind of been caught up in it. And I, as you say, everyone stayed behind. Everyone got behind the team. And even the commentators and the pundits were sort of complimenting us on not just our support, but almost the kind of credit we came out of a game with, which mm. obviously seems completely bonkers that the team's lost 4-1. But yeah. that's what happened. You know, <laughs> you can't yeah. deny it. Has Ange healed us then of that kind of moaning kind of whinging trait that, that's there well, i i would i would never say that because you know another 18 months 24 months down the line we're not sure where we'll be at and that kind of thing it all seems like it's going to be great but mm. you never know i mean I, I, you know things don't usually flip around like they did in that game the other day but you sometimes they do happen over a longer kind of stretch of time than that but um uh i don't i, I you know yeah fans fans will accept certain things until a certain point and then that's i mean the problem with kind of the modern fan is it's quite easy to flip-flop isn't it i think so yeah yep and they're going to get a few a few players out there that they've have been kind of the yeah, receiving yeah. end of, of some so of that all, ill treatment isn't it so that's almost like a test in itself isn't it it's sort of like we'll hold these players up that some of you really do hate but they're going to be playing so let's see if you can even tolerate these guys i mean it's, it's safe for us to talk about this because steph's not here tonight but actually with 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 dyer i i'm quite pleased actually that potentially he's got a chance here to yeah. kind of go out on a high yeah. and you know, I think the end of last season, obviously, his, his, his form fell off a cliff, and he—I think the whole team was in a bad place. Mm. But you know, he—he he, on occasions looked like he didn't want the ball, and uh, you know, it, it just wasn't a good way for it to end. And I think if he's got a chance to have a run of games here, you know, put in some good performances, remind everyone that he is a good player, mm. and you know, he's been a good servant for the club. It'd be nice if he could—he could end his time at the, at the club on a high, and um, yeah, go, yeah, go out being remembered as he should be. On a high or on a high line? (laughs) (laughs) Both. Both. As I think I said the other night, I think it was a nice situation for to come in because basically he was coming in to just bail out water, wasn't he? He was mm-hmm. another one. And that kind of really suits him. And the other thing, he would come on with the mindset thinking, um, I can kind of not relax, but I can just settle into this without being too nervous because I know I've probably got games coming up because he's seen one player go off with probably who's going to miss 10 games and he's yeah. seen another player go off to miss three games. So he's almost like guaranteed a place probably. So, And as a player, when you're a bit nervous that you've been on the outside and periphery of things that can be quite comforting to know you're coming in almost Mm. assured of a starting place and hopefully as you say he performs and takes that and that then leads to him I presume it'd still be in his final year this year ending uh, in quite a sweet way and he's made and making a contribution because I'm sure he wouldn't he he would absolutely love that himself yeah absolutely so now we've had a chance to kind of reflect on it and everything that happened how do you feel about that game now and kind of did you do enjoy it I, mean, I suppose we covered that a little bit, didn't we? But did we enjoy it despite everything that happened? I think Gareth covered that. I mean, he saw, and I kind of agree with him in a way. I, I mean, the first half was just really hard to process. <laughs> like when the mm. half time comes on, you're just like thinking, oh my God, so much. Almost like 90 minutes worth of football went on in 45 minutes there. So many incidents and that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was uh, from the, as we were saying before, from the pride sense, 
100% behind the team, thought that was, I couldn't ask more of them. Uh, and the only downside was that it was on, it was on that team we all hate to watch, really, that once again we suffered a few kind of like, you know, not knockout blows, but a few, you know, knocked down on the canvas a few times and yeah. they're dealing them to us. So, um, that, so that's my only little, you know, little negative to come out of it, really. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, I think, I think, um, I think we just get up and go again to mm-hmm. coin a phrase that every, um, Twitter football player <laughs> <laughs> will say 24 hours later. I think there is a feeling that why is it always Chelsea? Why is it always them that this sort of thing happens, happens against if it's obviously not Battle of the Bridge or it's, you know, ghost goals at Wembley and then going on to lose 5-1. It just feels like it's always, always them. It always has to be them that turns it around. And, um, and this is with what was previously our manager who was on the wrong end of it in, in their dugout this time. So what is it about them that, what have they done? What deal have they done with the devil at some point <laughs> that, um, they, they always seem to get it over on us and they always, life always seems to be at our expense on, on their part. But, um, I was, I mean, I, I've heard of a couple of people that didn't watch the game for what, for whatever reason, for perhaps good reason, and just saw it was 4-1. And, of course, if you follow the result backwards, you mm. get a very, very different perspective from, from following it forward. Um, the, I mean, it wasn't, I don't know, I, I say it wasn't a 4-1 game. I'll try and make the point probably badly that I tried to make on the WhatsApp game that it's the ultimate game of moments and, and margins that... As you went through that game at different points in it, if you were to freeze frame the games at different points, there was there, there, there was a case for saying Spurs are going to win this game 5-0, which when Sonny puts that goal in, which then gets ruled out for offside. At that point on, you think there's only one team that's going to win this, and Spurs yeah. are going to hammer them. And you know, and equally, there was you know, there's a point in the game, or when we're down to nine men and we're playing that high line, before you know how that's going to pan out, you think mm. This could end up being six one to Chelsea. You know, I yeah. guess in other circumstances, if the game had gone for another four or five minutes, maybe it would have done because fatigue definitely caught up with us in the end. And um, every score in between those five uh, five goals swing to one team or to the other. Every score was was possible at, mm. at one point, and it's just those so fine margins. And I guess in the context of the season, I think this is what a lot of well. Me, uh, I think we're christening me as um, Eeyore Spurs now and um, <laughs> Steph is, is Tigger Spurs. But I, I think going into this game, you always felt that the underlying stats this season, you said this, Milo, suggested that Chelsea were much better actually than their results and performances mm-hmm. were, were showing. And I think we would probably all have to accept that over 10 games, we have had the rub of the green on perhaps yeah. more than one occasion. And at some point, those things were probably going to even out. But for them all to even out in the in the space of effectively 70 minutes, um, it just feels a little bit unfair. Again, the fact that it happens against Chelsea in those 70 minutes. So let's hope that's that's everything evened out now this season or perhaps even that we're in credit again. Uh, yeah, I think we might be. Should we just go on to Michael Oliver and kind of the, mm. well, how he ref the game and VAR generally? So Oliver seemed quite happy to let things go. Do you think this is the right approach in this game? Uh, you know, maybe he was just thinking it was a London derby and that was the best way you know to manage the game. And do you think it had an impact on, on our game? I'm looking at you, Gareth, because you're a ref, so you're probably the best person to to get inside Michael Oliver's head. Yeah, no thanks. So, firstly, I'm I'm a huge fan of Michael Oliver. I do think he is by quite. I actually really rate Anthony Taylor as well, but I think Michael Oliver is a super referee. And I think one of the um, one of the great attributes of a referee is to always look calm and. 
I mean, it's something that I often try to do when I'm running around Enfield playing fields and probably struggle with. But he's the absolute personification of calmness at all occasions. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine that he was responsible or his responsibility as a referee in a game like that is huge. Now, of course, he's been there. He's refereed probably semi-finals in, in Champions League before. He's been in pretty hostile environments before. But for him, I mean, that looked like he was refereeing a kids five-a-side game at the local primary school it it's just so within his capability to referee a game of that magnitude there's there's an arrogance about him um and I think all the best referees have that arrogance about them but I think he has the credibility so generally when you watch games that Michael Oliver referees he tends to get the big decisions right the big calls right Mm -hmm. and he tends to sell them well as well so if he gives a penalty you know why he's given it and you're pretty certain it is and that definitely rubs off on the players as well so I I think we have to acknowledge the fact that we've got the best referee in the country if not one of the best referees in Europe um, on that game and um, I've heard lots of commentators people talking about the game saying that he lost control of it so I don't think he ever lost control of the game I, I think as the game goes on, he is subtly changing and amending his thresholds for what he thinks is a foul and what isn't. And there, there are reasons why you do that. There are strategic reasons as a referee why you think. And look, I'm, I'm never, I've never got to, a, I've never got to a standing in refereeing where perhaps I can understand that or implement that to the level that these guys do at Premier League level. But there are certain sort of trigger points as a referee where you're going to think for the next five minutes, I'm going to let everything go. And there definitely is a point. Midway, in, I know you want to, we should do this chronologic, but there's definitely a point in the first half where I think he just gets fed up with players throwing themselves on the floor, which happens, and he just thinks, sod the lot of you. I'm going to let this play. I'm going to let this go. It's up to you. If you want to go down, then you're going to cost your team and your teammates will want you to get up and your manager will want you to get up. So I'm just going to let it go. And that's that's definitely the point that we react badly to that situation. I was going to say, I think that coincides with what I would say is us losing control of the first half or at least losing Mm. control of our composure. And I do think that... Chelsea was setting out to foul us in order to disrupt our game. So I think it probably, you know, that that kind of laissez-faire period is going to have a bigger impact on us than it is on them, isn't it? It's, it's effectively yeah. allowing, you know, you're allowing one team to get dominance because you're fed up with how the game's going, I would have said. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I, I think it is. So I'll give it as a classroom analogy. We've probably all seen this or perhaps we've been subjected to it or perhaps we've been the one to, but we've been the one to do it. But you can imagine there being a classroom and just the, um, you know, the streetwise kid who's probably the bully just sort of flicking the um, flicking the blazer or just doing little things at the back of the kid in front of him and then of course as soon as the teacher turns around it's when that kid turns around and lamps the kid behind him and he's the one that gets in trouble for it so um, it did feel, I'm going to write I wrote this wording down because it was <laughs> I was struggling with it early uh, but it did feel like it was um, disproportionate levels of retaliation from us mm. uh, we can we can go into them yeah. more specifically but I felt there was a point where we reacted badly to the fact that we felt we weren't getting fouls given to us and you're a doggy and then Romero take it too far I mean I agree with Gareth about um, Oliver I mean I, I appreciate him as a ref I think he's a very good ref one of the best in the league he seems to be able to keep a level head and not end up looking flustered or anything like that and um, well, I think there's a, well, I wouldn't say a directive but there's certainly a trend in the big games or the fiery games for sometimes the ref to go easy in that first bit they, they don't like too much kind of a hoo-ha going on and usually they put the best refs in charge of those games and maybe there's a little bit of that to start with but if I'm honest I didn't feel during that initial period 
Uh, I mean, obviously they fouled us, but I didn't feel like Chelsea were niggling us too much or I didn't feel as though they were trying to rile us up. Um, I mean, obviously a lot of this would be um, if they were doing anything, it was fouls. I don't think they would be in like argy-bargy or doing anything, you know, to any in that sense. And I never got that vibe. And uh, I mean, if they fouled us uh, in those first 20 minutes, it was probably because they probably did more fouls than us because probably we had 80% possession and they had 20% possession. You don't generally foul people when you've got possession, do you? I, I think they did set out to foul us. I do think that, you know, it was very similar to the approach we'd seen from Palace um, no, I think you know, exactly 10 days that. before. But he didn't um, feel as bad as the Palace or the Burnley or, or the Fulham I, game. And maybe is that because we were playing so well and you know, maybe you, it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Madison, like, Madison, for instance, was fouled six times in the game. Five different Chelsea players fouled him. Um, none of those fouls earned a caution. And yeah. Um, yeah, Madison was on the pitch for 45 minutes out of a 112-minute game. And, you know, he's the most fouled player. I think, Gareth, you were saying, was it Decky fouled within... Yeah, 49 seconds, the first foul, Colwell yeah. on Decky. And there was quite a, and I think the Madison one was three minutes, wasn't there? One. Yeah, it didn't take long for him to get fouled. Line. I mean, just to give you some numbers, um, Ricky, we, you'd say, yeah, the, you know, logically you'd assume the team that has the most possession to be fouled more than the other, than the other mm-hmm. team. So in the end, um, it's the first game this season we've had less than 50% of possession. So we ended up with about 30% of the possession in the end, which, you know, because we've got nine players. But Chelsea committed 21 fouls to our 12 over the course of the game and seven of those were in the first 16 minutes. So, and I think some of the end were, were, you know, were fairly gormless. So it does feel like there was definitely, um, whether it was spoken or not, there was definitely a tactic to get into Spurs and just, mm-hmm. just to stop and play. And we do move the ball very, very quickly in the first 20 minutes, which I, you know, I agree means that you're more likely to be drawing fouls as a result of that. But the, um, I think Casido on, on Madison inside the three minutes was the first sort of really bad one. I can understand why it wasn't, why you, you let that one off. Um, the, the thing first I can't quite understand. It's the second one within six and a half minutes. The thing I quite can't understand, though, is obviously we've, other teams have had that approach with us in other games and we've not reacted like we have. And a team that's getting absolutely run over, I can imagine them, like Chelsea, i.e. in this situation, getting a bit angsty and thinking we need to do something to change this. But whenever I've played football and we're literally running over a team and we're really enjoying the game, the last thing I've ever felt my team wanted to do then is then start doing bad tackles on the other team. But, but I think It that's, doesn't feel like you want to do that at that stage. But I think that's where Gareth saying Oliver goes through that period where he's letting things go more comes in because I think up until that point we had, had complete dominance and we were able to play through it and then it gets a bit scrappy. I, I think also I think the occasion gets the better of Udogi and Romero. It's, you know, it's a highly charged game anyway. Um, Poch add, adds a bit more to that, doesn't it? And then if, if there's niggly stuff going on, on, or you think that you've been fouled, the ref hasn't done anything, and then you get into that, well, I'll take Matt, I'll take the law. You know, if you're going to, if that's the level you're refereeing at, then I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I think, so. yeah. In an experience, in an experienced way, and I'll take the point with the crowd because there's a, like a lot of, um, noise going on and that kind of thing. And I think in an inexperienced way that can happen. I think without jumping ahead too much, I think in Romero's case, 
think that's Romero just being Christian Romero sometimes. Yeah. I think we've seen it plenty of other times before. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, And to be fair, you know, there's other occasions this season he could have got sent off. The, you know, the scissor challenge, was that Brentford? Yeah. Um, and I think there was, was one that in the game no, we all Man went. United, was that Man United? I think it was Bournemouth was the scissor. Bournemouth, sorry, Bournemouth, yeah. sorry. I, I think yeah. there was a game that we went to. I think we all went to. Did, was it, did we play Villa and then he came charging out the fence near the halfway line and did one of those kind of just absolutely he, mad Yeah, Villa ended up, I remember the goal you talked about, Villa ended up scoring yeah. later on in the move. But yeah, yeah. he actually cleaned someone out. Um, yeah. But yeah. you know what I mean? Just to get the chronology right, um, your doggy's foul is in the is in the 18th minute. And that's just, after, that was five minutes after Sun's goal is chalked off or offside correctly. Um, by the, Chelsea have committed seven fouls by this point and we've only committed one. I mean, your doggy's one, I don't think that was malicious. I'm not sure that was necessarily about trying to retaliate I, th- I think he just got caught away in the the occasion and he he felt that he could go in hard to try and win the aggressively to win the win the ball back and he did it in a you know in a manner that he was lucky to get away with um i i'm not quite sure i don't know you follow the the, the fellow on twitter who's sort of the var expert mm. but i think they suggested because oliver had given him a yellow yeah that wasn't there wasn't a threshold to overturn it yeah that's it yeah if Oliver hadn't hadn't given anything or chosen not to give anything then it then it might have been different but that for me is the is yeah is the turning point in the game we'll come on to Romero I I know but I mean I think you saw the video that I sent you earlier I think something had happened a little bit earlier than that that just sowed a seed in his mind and then he then he has his mad six and a half yeah and of course and of course you can notice things like that and that could all be pre-planned by Chelsea we don't know you know in other words Mm -hmm. we know this person's a little bit you know you can Mm -hmm. get him on edge and that kind of thing we don't you know or it could just genuinely be a little tit for tat in the game because something's happened but um and let's face it we've all done that we've all wound up someone we know is combustible in the game in order to try and get an advantage you know if you were playing against him you, you would try to do that I mean I think the thing for me is that you know we've seen a pattern of teams this season trying to foul us and disrupt our game and basically we're gonna have to deal with it because this is you know good teams you know weaker opposition do this to good teams it's going to happen and our players need to be prepared for it and we need to be able to um kind of manage the referee influence the referee better and and have have ways of dealing with it and you know maybe it's just a bit early in this you know, kind of building this team for that to be in place yet but it's definitely something we need to do because you know Sheffield United did it Luton did it you know Fulham did it Palace did it um and now Chelsea I think probably you know in the past I've said about you know I think it was Sheffield United was saying you know actually they've got no budget they've got you know a, a, a mm. championship side that's come up and you know that, that's the way they could compete what's, what's annoying about Chelsea is they've got a billion pound team there and they're still you know they're still going out and playing like you know like Palace which is which yeah. is a shame <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're um, right. I think I think it's just all part of becoming more street smart. And as a collective, as a group, uh, I think we do need to challenge the ref more. I'm not sure whether the manager ever joins in that game or whether he's because he's been quite open about saying that the officials are the officials. I don't really want to like you know get into baiting them or or over being overcritical. But you think at half time he might have a word when uh, when they're walking off if, if if this kind of thing carries on. But um, and how we do with it, I don't know because really. I mean, the ref is there to protect you. And mm. I mean, what can you do? Because the last thing we want is really retaliation, isn't it? You know what I mean? Because, you know, I mean, I mean, the poor, you know, you're asking the ref to do something. The poor Newcastle players the other day, three of them got booked for Havertz tackle. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just like, 
Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. Let's reserve our comments about poor Newcastle players because they're coming up next month. And if there's one team that would have picked up something from that game last night, it'll be them. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Should we just talk about VAR briefly? Because there's a number of long breaks. And do we think that disrupted our rhythm? Um, well, yeah. I, you, when you're playing as well as we were and at the pace and tempo that we were, you don't want any stoppages, whether that's through through injuries, whether that's through um, VAR checks, or whether that's for for whatever reason. So there was a two minute check for the for the sunny goal that was that was correctly ruled out in the 13th minute um then there was a one minute and 12 second delay for the when they looked at the Udogi incident and then the sterling handball which is probably right in that period where the the balance was tipping a little bit that was then another two minute delay but it was still one nil at that point mm-hmm. so yeah well, I, I i think you can say just from a conventional wisdom perspective the way that the game was going you, you didn't want the game to stop for any reason mm-hmm. whatsoever so whether it was a var check or not um it wasn't it wasn't going to help us we probably never recovered the the pace that we played at that we did in those first 12 minutes but yeah. that i mean I'd, be I'd, I'd, you'd, you'd be kind of conflicted with the the, the the sunny one because i think it definitely put a little bit of a uh, burst the bubble of the atmosphere because it mm. just calmed everything down but at the same time if you've had a goal ruled off on pitch for offside you're willing to mm. wait two minutes to see if it was onside aren't you because it's <laughs> yeah. going to give you the reward of a, a you know a two goal nothing league. to lose have you yeah. yeah that's what i mean yeah. so so swings and roundabouts on that one i think but the other uh, the other comment that i've seen is interesting about the the VAR checks, and I, I don't know if there's any, anything in this or not, was, you know, players staying around for five minutes while they do a VAR check and then, you know, Van, Van Vins, um hamstring going and injuries and things like that and yeah. whether, you know, keep players keeping warm, particularly as we go into the colder months, um, you know, could be an issue. And those checks are getting longer and longer, partly because of the pressure they're being put under by other clubs and managers. Um, but you know, Steph messaged me saying that you ought to get a load of peliotons on the kind of side yeah. of the pitch and, you know, as soon yeah. as a, there's, a, there's a VAR check, we'll get all the players over there and get them pedalling for, for five minutes whilst, whilst that's yeah. going on. It wouldn't surprise me if, if, if even some kind of like mini routine goes on in, in the future you know what I mean because yeah, like I think warm. like we're saying you don't know if a one check's going to become a four minute check because there's no real do shuttle no runs real, or something no, yeah. that's what I mean there's no definition at the start that you know we're going to get every decision done within a minute some of them mm. you know take forever but yeah should, should we dive on to that second half so we're, we're, we're down to nine men and and sticks sticks to his guns and we can continue to play a high line you know even when we're down to nine men um, some people have uh, branded this naive um, are they right or is And right to did he do the right thing? And kind of secondary question, you know, what do you think the players will have taken from this? Um, so when you when you when you're down to nine men, you're up against it with what there was still thirty well thirty five minutes of of game time plus you knew there was going to be stoppages as well so you must have on a percentage scale you must have I don't know a one percent chance of getting anything out of that mm-hmm. game at that point. Um, I mean, if everyone says you know, Liverpool did the what you would imagine would be the obvious thing to do, which is to sit deep, defend the penalty area, force play out wide, try and delay games as, you know, as, as much as you can. Um, but look, if 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 you'd, if you doggy being sent off, you'd have all said to us, look, you can have a situation where in the ninety third minute. Chelsea are one goal ahead and Sonny, Sonny will be running away to the mm. edge of the penalty area as a result of you playing a higher press and playing higher up the pitch. Would you take that? Well, of course you would, I think. Um, 
if you're going to sit back on the edge of your area, particularly with the players that we've got. I mean, you've, we talk about Dyer. I think one of the reasons why he's struggled over the last three years is because he's played in a system where he's been asked to defend the penalty area and any slight error is probably going to result in the other team scoring. Yeah. So you think you've then got another, um, you've got Royale or then Hoiberg then playing as an auxiliary central defender alongside him um and, it's a recipe and, and of course if you, if you sit deep and then then Chelsea score you know two minutes later in fact as they very very nearly did it wasn't the fact that mm-hmm. Jackson is is awful and will probably only score three goals all season and cut them against us um if they score that header at 2-1 and you're playing a low block and you perhaps made substitutions to do that it's very very difficult to then wrestle the momentum and, back. yeah absolutely and it could switch both ways I think the other thing is is that we would have been resorted to Sonny playing up top on his own and we would have been hoofing balls clear Sonny chasing after them we, you know the thought of you know we've got someone who's done a hamstring Sonny running the length <laughs> length of the pitch after like hopeless hopeless punts in the hope of getting something just fills me full of fear and you know, we've seen what happens when we try to, to load block. I, I mean, I think it was absolutely the right choice. And it actually meant that, you know, we didn't cede complete control of the game to, to, to Chelsea. I think if we're, if we're sitting back, the only thing you're saying there is we're going to hang on for the draw. I mean, I think um, as some of the uh, some of the absolutely remarkable photos prove that it does squash the game into like a mm. small area, doesn't it? As we saw yeah. our kind of six of us strung across the pitch there doing the kind of high line on the halfway line. I think it's... Oh, I mean, it doesn't really matter if it was naive or not. You could say it was naive because obviously Chelsea have very quick... They're three blokes up from Sterling, Jack... Um, uh, Jackson, Jackson, was it? Yeah, yeah Mudrich later on. And then yeah. Mudrich's obviously lightning as well when he came on. Uh, so you think it's only going to take something to break through. Oh, luckily, Chelsea were obviously very rubbish at realising how to play that mm. kind of way because they were just had no idea what the offside rule was. Um, I mean, the only tweak I would put to it is I think it just looks so... I would play a high line, but maybe I'd play on the edge of the kind of a semicircle in the middle there because if you push right up to the halfway line... Hmm. anyone running is then automatically running from their own half kind of thing even if they're running from slightly deep and if you're just a little bit 10 yards a bit further back than that then at least you've got a bit of room because you can't run any further forward if, as a defender because there's no advantage to run into their half because they're always onside from their own half so that's hmm. the only thing i would say but i think in the grand scheme of things it it, it didn't really matter too much and i think in in yeah in the grand scheme hmm. of things it actually shows more the what Ange wants and then the players want the same thing kind of thing I mean whether they ball into it I think that's the most important thing to come out of it and I think for those fringe players yeah for for Eric Dyer coming into this team or you know Hoybier playing at centre-back for the first time you know for us at least that's Ange saying to them I trust you to play my game which I think they'll take something into the next game if they he brought them on and said right you're going to sit on the edge of the six-yard box and then we were going into the, you know, they, we need to play them against Wolves. Then, I, you know, in the back of their mind, I think they, they might be thinking the manager doesn't trust me to play his tactics. Um, and the other thing, of course, is if we're playing that deep, then um, Vicario isn't doing his fantastic sweeper-keeper yeah, performance. Exactly. He's, he's, he's keeping in his six-yard box, which is something would, he hasn't really had to do for us. I mean, I would love to know whether he was then had communication from the bench to say, look, you're now you're going to go sort of on steroid mode of um, sweeper-keeper mm. because we're just going to need you as almost like a kind of, you know, as a Muncy kind of last man kind of thing. But I thought all the players that came on played with confidence and we still wanted to knock it to each other and we still needed... And we even with nine, we would go on raiding presses against them as well. It wasn't like we think, oh, we must keep our five here and our three here and or whatever the formation, the, the four and then the three and that kind of thing. We still, still went about our business and I think that just shows... 
as I say, confidence in what the man's teaching us, what they're learning every day. Mm. And even the ones that are fringe players are obviously listening in training. And I think, well, they probably, uh, I think Andrew would notice if they weren't. So, yeah. and that's why they're on the bench and that's why we trust mm. them, I think. Yeah. So a couple, a couple of things I'd add in there. We've just on playing against nine or playing with nine. It's a, it's a very unusual mm. occurrence that happens. So, so we found when you played against Liverpool, it's probably not something you train for. You, you possibly exactly. train occasionally to play against 10. You almost certainly don't play against nine. Um, there's been a number of occasions when we've had a game against nine and they've always been much closer than they should have been. So you remember when we lost under Poch at Bournemouth um, mm-hmm. right at the end of that season and we were down to nine men for pretty much the whole of the second half. I think Foyth was sent off. It was his yeah. first touch, That's wasn't right. it? Bournemouth only scored in stoppage time. And I know that this is Bournemouth playing against a team that was in the Champions League final. Um, as we found against Liverpool, it's not, it's not easy to do it. It's a very mm-hmm. unusual set of circumstances. So if, I, I suppose... Potch may have said to Chelsea at half-time if they may well go down to nine. But he would have, they all would have mentally been expecting if that happened, we were just going to sit deep. So I'm sure that flummoxed them even more than it would yeah. have done usually, the fact they're playing against nine. The other thing just to point out as well is that um, people seem to be suggesting that, you know, Ange ball is about playing with a high line. It's not necessarily about playing with the high line. I think that was, it's just about being on the front foot and... Mm-hmm. I suppose it's the it's the it's the football equivalent of baseball, isn't it? It's taking a risk. It's it's taking a chance on winning, knowing that you might be a, that you might go on to lose. But that's better than not trying for the win at all. And the circumstances just dictated that the best way to try and enact Ange ball in that situation was playing high. It doesn't mean that when we start a game with eleven aside, we're going to put all our defenders literally on the halfway line and get our midfielders banked up against them um, and try and catch them in behind. Because we we've, we've not seen that extreme of playing no. at that. We've not seen that extreme high line all no, season. It was, I think, it was a very, very specific um, circumstance to that. It doesn't mean that we. Do you remember the game we played at Villa at the end of last year? Actually, when they did the same yeah. to us, albeit with yeah. eleven players, and I think we did score a goal in the end, didn't we, from it? But it was, we didn't time the pass right. That, the runs weren't that, timed right. That, it's that whole game. I was Longley you know, had his faults, but what he could do is find a decent long pass, and, it, and we just didn't seem to do it all game. Just completely flummoxed by it, and I think that's it. I think maybe and just thought, I'm going to flummox them. I'm going to do something so crazy that they can't work out yeah how to do it, and the players didn't seem to be able to work it out amongst themselves. I mean, I think the truth of the matter is it nearly worked. You know, Chelsea yeah. didn't take the lead until the 75th minute, and their third yeah. and fourth goals came in added time. Um, we had a goal disallowed in the second half, and you know, a number of really good chances. You know, Sonny and Benton Kerr particularly. Mm. Yeah, how close were we to pulling off a great result here? It was I don't know, going back to that margins and, and moments, of course we you know, of course we were. It was um I mean we didn't really have any moments, did we, at one one. It was only really when they went to two mm. one and I, I think they shit the bed a little bit and did some incredibly gormless things and gave away some bad fouls and they obviously can't defend set pieces very well um, but to have got the I mean to have got the if, if, so if either Dyer, Benton, Cor or Sonny had scored there still would have been another five minutes wouldn't there and who knows what would have happened in in, in that period but yeah we, we, we were so close the 4-1's a bit of a red herring again anyone looking at the result and working back from that would get a very very different different perspective but I say yeah at the moment Udog has got been sent off you've probably got less than a 1% chance of, of getting yeah. anything out of the game so to have got as close 
close as we as we did was um, you know it was a remarkable achievement. Well, thinking about how remarkable it would have been if we had got something out of it, because mm. you know we're all on a bit of a kind of crest of a wave already. So then go down to nine men and nick a draw or something would have been absolutely <laughs> yeah. amazing. Really, I mean the crowd yeah. would have been going nuts, or even more so, you know, more appreciative than they already were. But um, and I don't think it tells Chelsea a lot out of the game either. Really, I mean, you know, I'm not sure what they've taken out of it. I mean, they think they've got a victory <laughs> on the board, but I don't. Yeah. You know, they're still not looking like they're massively cohesive. I mean, it's hard to say when you're playing against nine, but. Yeah, it, it it would have been one was one we talked about for years, wouldn't it? If we managed it would to pull have. off getting anything yeah. out of this from that position, it would have yeah. been yeah, you know, yeah. It really would have been one of those ones you talk about. Yeah. So yeah. looking ahead to Saturday's game against Wolves, you know, obviously we've got three quarters of our defence out, um, and potentially Madison as well. How would how would you line line up? What would you do? Um, I mean, I will say that I mean that we know that Romero won't play. We're almost certain that um, Van der Ven's going to be out for for a while. I'm I'm a, I'm a little bit concerned about a couple of the other players as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think you know emotionally and physically that would have taken a lot out of them. I think Poro went down holding his ankle in the first half when it, when he went down. He didn't um, train Vic- today. I understand. Which didn't which which wouldn't surprise me. Um, Vicario took that really bad knock off the challenge of Mudrick, which was you know his fourth fourth challenge as well. Um, I suppose we'll find out. It's probably from tomorrow on. You yeah. get the press conferences and you start seeing the training gallery pictures. So I, I think there will be some players running on on fumes at the moment. Madison, I'm not too concerned with, or at least relative to um, to the injury, it looked like he he picked up. I'm pretty sure that was a precautionary injury. So when I watched it back, he gets the treatment and um, he's back on the pitch. And then that's the point that Van der Ven then gets injured. And well, Milo, you explain why not making a substitution at that point strategically might have been a problem later on because you articulated far <laughs> yeah, better. Yeah, so I mean, we were talking about this beforehand, weren't you? Weren't we? Although you've got five substitutions in a the game, there's only three periods when you can do them, three events when you can make those substitutions, unless you've got a, a, a head injury, in which case you can have an additional substitution, but your opponents also get an additional substitution at that point. So, um, Basically, there was only one more window after that when he, once he made that Van Der Ch- change, when he could have made that change. And he because probably, Dyer would come on for Johnson after Romero yeah. sending off. So, yeah. so he probably didn't want to be forced to use that, you know, at half time or early in the second half if, if Madison was, was injured. So I think you're right. I think he basically thought it's, it's not, you know, it's 50 50. Let's bring him off now to be sure because. I might not have the chance. I might not have that option later on in the game. I think. I think he might have actually said that himself, didn't he? I think he said that there right. was, he was going to make a change anyway, and then because he was then forced into it, he thought, "Well, I'm going to have to bring Madison off at the same time and do because, mm. as you say, you'd run out of um, opportunities to do that." Um, I think Madison will probably be all right. I mean, he looks like he's had and a few minor I, niggles or something going on for quite a few I, weeks, but um, and I think the other thing we've got to bear in mind is an international break after this. So what we might do is risk them this weekend and then try and withdraw them from international Mm. duty or use that that fortnight to 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 help them recover is it a qualification window for the internationals or is it yeah it's the it's the final qualification window as well so it's it's, there well it's it's one of two things so some countries will be playing um really important games that will have significant consequences for them but equally there'll be some games that'll be absolute dead rubbers i Mm. I don't know i think maybe decky sweden Mm. there's probably a dead rubber Mm -hmm. at this point i might have that completely wrong though and has um 
because uh, I was quite amazed with the kind of suffering it looked like Poirot was going through over on that far touchline when he twisted his ankle, mm. how he managed to there. Because now you could almost argue, didn't train today, but if you sprint around like he did for like the last sort of yeah. 50 minutes on I, that ankle, then I'm amazed that it would be bad, I do think bad. he's got one of those faces though, hasn't he? <laughs> I think he might make it look a bit a bit worse than it, than is it, it is. Yeah. I, has he been I mean, playing in, internationals, has he? Is he being... I think he's up? been in squads, hasn't he? He's been in squads, sure yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, missing out. I, I think in terms... Of, I, I'd expect Poirot to be fit for it. I think he'll be fine. We know yeah. Dyer's going to start. I think mm. the question of who to start alongside him, and I, I keep flipping and flopping on this. I, on mm. one hand, I think, you know, we've brought Ash Phillips, and, you know, if you don't trust him here, what does he say? What does it say to him? But he's massively inexperienced. Mm. I think, you know, physically, he, you know, he's quick and he's big, so... There's some similarities um, with with Van der Ven, but you know it feels like a risk. And I think Hoybier did re- really well there. And I think so maybe maybe Hoybier, but it, I suppose part of this depends on Van der Ven's prognosis. And you know we saw photos from we think from the training ground today where he's he's shaking hands with Sonny and doesn't appear to have crutches or any support or any yeah. strapping or anything on his on his thigh, which you'd hope suggests it's not as bad as we first feared, but. I do think this Wolves game is the easiest game of our run, you know, our next you know, little run of games. Mm. And you probably want to bed in a central defensive partnership that you're going to play all the way through Romero being out because you don't really want to be bedding in a new defender against Villa or, or City, particularly City. Um, and then, yeah, at left back, I play, I play Royale because I think he's done very well there these last, these last few games. Yeah, I'm assuming that Davis is okay because he's been called up by Wales today. So you, you right. think he's he's got a decent chance of being available. Um, I don't. I really wouldn't want him at centre back in in a in a in a back four. So yeah. I, 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 I wasn't particularly impressed with him at, at left back against um, Fulham. No, I, yeah, I I wonder whether his future for us will be more as a left sided central defender than it will be as a left back. I, th- I think, mate, I think we were already aware that as a left back, sort of pre Conte, his time was his time was probably up. He played particularly very effective in a back three. Um, I'd be yeah, nervous in the left back. Even a couple of the games last year when Mason went to a four four at the back and he played left back. It's definitely Brentford. He was um, he was exposed. So um, yeah, I, I, I think Dyer and, and Phillips is the is the obvious thing to do for this particular game. Um, I think I think I'd go Dyer and Hoybier. Who, so so up against no no Wolves are the extreme opposite of of Ange, aren't they? Gary O'Neill said he yeah. effectively said he's the ultimate pragmatist that he picks his teams based on his opponents. Oh okay. Um, so I mean, obviously, clearly keeping him guessing here is going to yeah, be he won't have a, a, clue, a good mate, thing. <laughs> no, that's it. And whether he, whether they're working on playing um, balls in behind or have to slip in through balls against the defensive line on the halfway line to then find that we play with slightly more of a he, he was he was on. Monday Night Football a couple of weeks ago and they were analysing how how we played and he was very very flattering about um, particularly our build-up play and our rotations and was saying you know apart from these players here and the front three everyone else is rotating and it's impossible to know who's going to pick up where you know and Mm -hmm. he he was very very complimentary about how we played but yeah no I think that's a good point I think I think with you doggy out then we can be quite pleased that Neto's out I suppose so that's um, yeah that's you know because if it's Davis or Royal against Neto then 
Well, I'm wondering great. if it's karma because when Neto pulled up with his hamstring against Newcastle Saturday before last, I was on the WhatsApp group to you lot saying, "Don't well, I'm paraphrasing, don't wish this sort of injury on anyone, but not a bad time for Neto to do his hamstring." <laughs> I then, remember that. Then, of course, Mickey then does exactly the same thing, probably the exact yeah. same strand of his hamstring um, the, the week later. But um, now I'm going to surprise you. My centre half choice is think uh, Fernandinho, think Roy Keane. I would play Pesuma there as a person that is most like Van der Ven in the sense of physicalness, chasing after people, tackling. Fraser Forster, put Fraser Forster in. in <laughs> no, it's no different than Hoiberg playing there, really. Yeah. Hoiberg is more... I, mean, I think if he was fully fit, I'd be tempted to put Bentancourt back there. Mm. Yeah, but I want I someone that seems that is quite quick. And I think Basuma is quite quick over the ground and he will take no grief from anyone. And I think Hoiberg's all right there, but I just think he's pretty much in a running kind of race with Dyer, really. He's not particularly that quick, really. And I'm trying to replace what we've lost with, um, mm. who do you call but, it, um, Van der Ven. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't make that change on, on Monday night. When, when no, they're both but he on might the pitch, think about it. The other way around. Yeah. Yeah, you might think yeah. about it because Hoiberg can still play in midfield, and then we've got Saar. I mean, I would quite happily play Saar there, but I think he he just enjoys the game too much to be a responsible centre half. <laughs> so I, I'd be fearful of him. But um, uh, I, but then we've got three centre midfielders in Saar, Hoiberg, and Bentoncourt. We don't want to up Bentoncourt's um, mm. minutes too much, but mm. I agree with you. I think he could make a good kind of intelligent centre half, Bentoncourt, because he's another a person that reads the game in that. But that You're not obviously it's not going to happen. You, but particularly running back at the moment. No, exactly. You don't want to like put that burden on him and that kind of thing. So, um, but no, I would think about. I, I would definitely think about that if I'm thinking of someone that's as similar to Van der Ven as possible when it comes to uh, defensive duties. I think. And, but, and if Madison is out, Celso, uh, Benton Kerr, Donnelly, a bit of that maybe. Uh, Decky inside and then Decky, who yeah. play on the right and then the uh, left. I'm just Hill. trying to work out who Hill we've got. And, Hill, Hill and maybe. Johnson. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. Richarlison is a bit vague at the moment, isn't it? We know he's going to have yeah. this surgery. It didn't suggest that he was going to have it tomorrow. Immediately, though. no. No, I mean, the fact he was named on the bench on Monday and then this came out immediately after the game, as you believe, it's probably one of those injuries where they're just going to pick and choose when... The right time to well, do between, it. Between, yeah. between him, obviously. He'll have and, some input into and, that. And we also know that he's brutally honest in interviews, isn't he? he yeah. He, 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 he's very open about these things. And, uh, you know, he was talking of, in that interview, he's also talking about his mental health again and, and, and how down he's been. And I think this point came out of that. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I did a bit of reading up on the injury. It's meant to be you know, pretty painful when you're running or kicking a ball. Um, so it's going to have an impact, isn't it? It is. I think he, um, yeah, I mean, he wears his heart on his sleeve and he speaks from the heart in his interviews, doesn't he? He doesn't seem to yeah. mind just saying what he needs to say. But, um, yeah, no, I think, listen, I'd hope, oh, I don't know if Celso deserves a chance, but in his head, he's probably thinking mm-hmm. that, you know, if Madison's not playing, then I'll be the one playing. And if he's not, then I don't know how that will how that will sit with him, really. But um, I'm sure Ange won't really care how it sits with him. So That's it. Yeah, well, m- maybe Benton is able to start get a bit more minutes yeah. in him. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, the, the point we've lost our two centre-halves, we've suddenly got all seven of our central midfielders back available. <laughs> it, I mean, it'd be an interesting game because whenever I've caught up, uh, watched a little bit of Wolves, they've been a very good watch quite often. Mm. They, they, when they played that Man United game at Old Trafford, and yeah. they've had so yeah. many games where I thought, 
And I've not really worked out how they play, but I've just quite enjoyed watching them. In other yeah. words, they're not scared to go well, forward. I mean, and... Neto's been their best player, and I think he was up for, for player of the month. But, but Cunha, as yeah. another forward, is, is quite lively. I think Huang is um, is yeah. useful as well. I think that you put, probably put me into that Chelsea category. They're a team that are doing better than their results suggest. And I know that Gary O'Neill will be very quick to point out that they had four, what he would consider absolute horrendous yeah. penalties given against them. Um, in saying that, though, as good as I think they've looked as well, they lost at Sheffield United, who I think are the worst team that have been in the Premier League in, yeah. in probably a decade last weekend. So they've clearly got their flaws. And, you know, you, you, you put it down 1-11, to 11, even with the defenders that we'd have, I'd still you know, back us that we've got better plays in every position. And if we're, if we're anything near sort of 85% plus, I, yeah. I'd be confident that you know, barring some sort of terrible decision or an incredible spin of the ball, we should be good enough to go and beat them. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you talk about the kind of bad luck the Wolves have had and um, kind of the horrible behaviour that's been going on down the road. And I think really as the Premier League as a, as a punishment to Arteta ought to force him to be Wolves manager for a month. Mm-hmm. So, he really, so he really knows what it's like to be on the end of bad decisions. And uh... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's a great... It's, I mean, this is how entertaining it is to watch that team. It's actually quite looking forward to see how this all plays out because yeah. we've kind of had a bit of a kind of freewheeling downhill start to the season and everyone was saying, oh, what about when we hit some bumps? I mean, I think Angie himself has said that, hasn't he? He says, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll have moments where it's going to get tough and that. And it all just came along at once kind of thing in one game and we've got a lot of things to work through, decide how we're going to like approach it and with new members of the team, really. All, all, But hopefully mm. it will indicate whether we're all just um, learning off that same page in training and that translates onto the pitch. Here's an idea, lads. Why don't we meet up on Sunday and have a conversation about how that's gone? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can tear it apart then. Or, yeah, or, let's do or, that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> to be continued. Thanks, lads. That was fun. Nice one, mate. It was fun, and dear listener, as I said, we'll be back on Sunday, Sunday night, early Monday morning. Uh, where we'll talk about that Wolves game and whatever else is happening at Spurs. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you at the weekend. Bye.